today you are a child of God amen thank you worship team if you need a Bible raise your hand if you have one go with me to the book of Luke the gospel of st. Luke chapter 24 the gospel of Luke chapter 24 and a week and a half we have our emotionally healthy leadership conference and um, we have about 350 leaders from around the world that are joining us and if you'd like to see what's happening and what we're teaching for those two days, April 20th and 21st, you can join us via live stream. It's actually $35, which is a wonderful deal uh, for all the things that you're going to learn there. So you can go to emotionallyhealthy.org if you want to tune in and join us there. Now, we are in a season called Eastertide, and I love how this uh, writer, Ron Rollheiser, said it, that our culture knows how to anticipate an event but we don't know how to sustain it. An event comes, and then we forget about what just happened. So Christmas comes by, by 6 p.m. Christmas Day. We forgot about Christmas. We know how to anticipate it, but we don't know how to sustain it. Easter is a season of 50 days. It's called Eastertide. And I love that Lent is 40. Easter is 50. The feast is always better than the fast, isn't it? Feasting is always better than fasting, and that's what we want to celebrate with Easter. And so uh, we're focusing over the next few weeks on conversations that the risen Jesus had with his disciples, because the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples after his resurrection, he wants to speak to us as well. And so um, Luke uh, 24, let's get, we'll return there in a moment. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we enter into this passage today. Father, thank you for the truth that we are sons and daughters of God. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a profound way through this beautiful passage of Scripture. May we walk out here having encountered the risen Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Last week, Greg Howe preached on the resurrection in doubt. Today, I want to talk about the resurrection and our disappointments, the resurrection and our disappointments. Disappointment is a word that all of us are familiar with. It's something that we have all experienced at one point or another. I've said it this way in many different contexts that you have either experienced disappointment, you are currently being disappointment, disappointed, or you are going to enter into some form of disappointment. And so at some point in our lives, we will experience some form of disappointment. I like how uh, Philip Yancey said it, disappointment comes, occurs, when the actual experience of something falls far short of what we had hoped for. And all of us have experienced this kind of reality. I experienced disappointment this past Thursday morning. I woke up extra early. Uh, I prayed. I spent extra time in silence. I felt God's 
presence in my kitchen where I was praying. God surprised me with some joy. I just felt more joyful than I typically am at six o'clock in the morning. I felt just joy. I said, this is wonderful. I woke my daughter up to get her ready to go to school. She wasn't complaining that morning. I said, the Holy Spirit is moving in my apartment here. Gave her waffles. You didn't complain about the waffles. Got her dressed. Got to school before, you know, typically we're just getting to the door and please hold the door open. We got there extra early, dropped her off. I had a 9.30 meeting here. I thought, you know what? I'm going to drive home. This is going to be a great day. I'm going to get there extra early for my meeting to be centered and ready. And I drove home first after dropping her off and I couldn't find parking. Five minutes goes by as I'm circling, couldn't find parking. Ten minutes goes by, I couldn't find parking. Fifteen minutes goes by. Do you guys live in Queens? You share this? Fifteen minutes goes by. Twenty minutes go by. Twenty-five minutes goes by. Thirty minutes goes by. Oh, there's a parking spot. That's a fire hydrant. I can't park there. Forty minutes go by. 45 minutes go by. At this point, whatever joy the Holy Spirit put inside of me has left my body. It's been exercised, joy exercised from my body. And all I could feel was anger and and disappointment. God, I woke up extra early to pray that day. And this is how you repay me to find, I can't find the parking. I was disappointed. All of us have experienced disappointment. That morning, I thought this is going to be a great day, but it did not uh, happen exactly how I had hoped. Many of us will experience disappointment. Some of us will experience, all of us at some point, a big disappointment. When a child is diagnosed with a particular condition, we feel disappointment. When a family member is diagnosed with an illness, a disease, cancer, or what have you, disappointment. When a marriage falls apart, disappointment. When we lose a job, disappointment. Life has a way of disappointing us. And it's not just the big disappointments that we face. Sometimes it's the little disappointments that just accumulate over time that become a big disappointment. We are often disappointed in ourselves in what we've done or what we have not done, accomplished or have not accomplished. We are often disappointed in others, what others have done or failed to do. And frequently we are disappointed with God. All of us at one point or another will be disappointed by God. But truly, many of us fail to acknowledge that, especially Christians, that God from time to time has a way of disappointing us. Perhaps the greatest disappointment that we experience, though, is the disappointment of failed dreams, the disappointment of a failed vision. All of us in this room, we, had, we have a vision for our lives, a vision uh, basically of uh, where I should be in this season of my life. We, we, we have a picture, we painted a picture of a preferred future by the time I'm 20 and 25, this is where I should be. When I'm 30 and 35, this is where I should be. When I'm 40 and 45, this is where I should be. When I'm 50 and 60 and 70, this is where I should be in my life. But all too often, the vision that we had for ourselves, the preferred future, many times doesn't happen. What happens when the vision that you have for your life doesn't occur? And we all have visions. 
Visions of relationships, how they should be. Visions of economic stability and how that should be. Vision of vocational joy, the kind of career, the job that I want to have. We all have visions, and many times they don't come to pass. What do you do when you're disappointed? What do you do when God disappoints you? This is what we see in our passage today. In Luke 24, we hear and we see a story of two disciples that were disappointed. They had a vision for their lives, and that vision didn't happen. Luke 24, this is a lengthy passage, and it's going to take me about three minutes to read this, so I want you to just stick with me here, because it's a beautiful, beautiful story of how God wants to speak to us through our disappointments. In Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, hear the word of the Lord. It says, now that same day, that's the resurrection Sunday, the first resurrection Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they uh, talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they, were, they crucified him. But we had hoped, I'm going to come back to that, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, this is Jesus responding, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. A beautiful passage. A beautiful passage. When we pick up in our text, we have two characters. We don't know much about who they are, but we know one thing about them. They were disappointed. Very disappointed. And the reason they were disappointed was because the one in whom they had put their faith in has been killed. Their hopes has been dashed. Their vision that they had for their lives is now gone. 
And what I want you to see early on is in this passage is what disappointment does to you and I and what disappointment did to those two men. I want you to see in verse 13, it says, now that same day and the death of Jesus, when Jesus, uh, two of them, the resurrection of Jesus, rather, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. I want you to notice what disappointments do. Disappointments very easily can pull you away from God. It says they were walking from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter of faith. Jerusalem is where Jesus was. And as they experienced this disappointment, they began to walk west, going away from where Jesus was, moving away from the epicenter of faith. Disappointment has a way of pulling you away from God. But as they were walking to Jerusalem, the story says in verse 15 that as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, in the Greek word is Jesus himself. That's how the accent is on himself. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And what I want you to see parenthetically is that as they were walking away from where the epicenter of faith was, where Jesus was killed, the risen Jesus chases them down. But they don't know it's Jesus. And I want to say that Jesus will chase you down with his love. He's, he, he's unrelenting. He, he will follow you. He will chase you down with his love. And so they're walking away from him, but he, he, he runs after them, as it were, following them on the road. His love is relentless. And so Jesus asked them questions about what they're talking about. And after the question came, the story goes that these disciples stood still with their faces downcast, and Jesus began to press them even more. Tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. And they respond with this very ironic question. They say, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's so ironic because the one who understands everything about what has just taken place is asked if he's a visitor. Are you a visitor? He knows everything about what happened. And the irony is they're saying, you must be a visitor. They don't notice who they're talking to. And so Jesus presses them even further. What things? And they respond with these words. About Jesus, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and the people. The chief priests handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And then hear these three words. These are three words that capture disappointment in a nutshell. We had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to pay attention to those three words in verse 21 because these words capture the heart of disappointment. They say, we had hope. We had hoped he was the one. We had hoped he was the one to liberate us. We had hoped he would, he would put us and restore us in our proper place. And these three words are words that all of us in this room are very familiar with. Because at one point or another, you have said, in one way or another, I had hoped. I had hoped. I had hoped, maybe you said, that I would be married by now. I had hoped to have a better marriage. I had hoped to have children at this age. I had hoped that my student loan debt would be paid off by now. I had hoped that I would be in my dream job. I had hoped that I would be healed from this 
past traumatic experience. I had hoped that God would answer my deepest prayers. I had hoped that the Knicks would make the playoffs. We all have our hopes that don't come to pass, especially that last one. As it says in Lame I dreamed a dream in time gone by, you know? It's not going to happen. The two disciples had a problem. They, their hopes and dreams did not become a reality. And I'm not sure if there's a more painful experience, that the vision that we have for our lives doesn't happen. Very painful experience. But this was not their only problem in this passage. There was perhaps a larger problem besides their vision and their hopes and their dreams not becoming a reality. Because not only do they experience grief and disappointment because of failed hopes and dreams, the larger problem is this. These two disciples were living without an awareness that Jesus was alive. And when you don't live with the knowledge that Jesus is alive, there's no hope. We're stuck. We're in despair. There's nowhere to go. It reminds me of a story that I came across this past week of two Japanese soldiers. There was an article in the BBC that was entitled, Japanese soldier who spent 29 years unaware World War II had ended dies at age 91. This is last year. This soldier who fought in World War II lived in the jungles of the Philippines, unaware that the war had ended. For 29 years, from 1945 to 1974, he lives in this jungle not knowing the war is over, not knowing it's safe to come out, not knowing there is a new future that is available to you. And as I look at the road, these two men on the road to Emmaus, they are on the road to becoming like these Japanese soldiers because they lived without the awareness that a great war, the great war, is over. When Jesus died and he resurrected from the dead, the great war of death, death has been defeated. Sin has been conquered. Forgiveness is now available. He is risen from the dead. The great war that kept us in hiding is over. You can come out now. But they lived without this awareness. They just didn't know. And now in our case, it's a little different. Because what they lack is a head knowledge that Jesus was risen from the dead. What you and I lack is not a head knowledge. You and I lack a heart knowledge. It's easy to believe in our mind that Jesus is risen. It's easy to read it in the scriptures, to, to confess it in our creeds, to sing it in our worship gatherings. We believe in our heart. Is Jesus risen? Without question. But how risen is Jesus is the question. How risen do you believe Jesus to be? And many of us, we believe Jesus is risen for back in the day, but he's not risen enough to respond to situations in my life today. How risen is Jesus to you? For, for the men of Emmaus, they, they had no clue. For you and I, how risen do you believe him to be? And for many of us, it's easy to have a head knowledge about it, but lack of heart knowledge about it. It reminds me of the story in John 11 with two sisters who lost a brother. Martha and Mary had a brother named Lazarus, and he died. They called Jesus. Jesus was their best friend. They called Jesus. Uh, uh, Jesus had his uh, cell phone on silent or something like that. He couldn't get back to them. They couldn't reach him. Bad reception. Probably had AT&T or something along those lines there. He had bad reception. 
And he couldn't get them. Lazarus dies. Jesus hears about it. He gets there four days later. When, when Jesus gets to the scene, Martha looks at him and she starts rebuking Jesus. You're, you know you're in a bad place when you're rebuking Jesus. And she tells him, where were you? If you were here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus says, Martha, essentially these words, do you believe in the resurrection? She says, absolutely. I believe that at the end of human history, people are going to be raised from the dead. And then Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Martha, do you believe? And in Martha's case, she had good theology. She had great theology that at the end of human history, everyone is going to be raised. She had good head knowledge, good head theology. She didn't have the heart theology, though. She believed that God would do something at the end of human history, but she had no faith that God was going to do something today. And most of us experience that. We feel that. We say, do you believe in the resurrection? Absolutely. Can God help you today? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead? Without question, of course I do. Do you think that Jesus can provide for your needs? No, you're stretching it. That's a little too far. All of us, it's easy to believe things about the future than to believe something about the present. We don't have heart knowledge that Jesus is alive. And so the story goes that these two men are walking on the road and the risen Jesus visits them on the road. And what's interesting about the story is they don't recognize him. They don't recognize that Jesus was coming to them in their time of disappointment. And all of you in this room, you've been disappointed. I know you have been. And many of you are disappointed right now in something in your life. And Jesus is walking alongside you right now. But often we miss him. We don't recognize him. The question is, how could they not recognize him? How could they not recognize Jesus walking next to them? I have three theories as to why they didn't recognize him. Theory number one, the sun was in their eyes, okay? You're walking and the sun, they're walking west, the sun is setting, the sun was just in their eyes. Who is this guy? There was no buildings, there's no hat, there's nothing like that. They're just, who is? And they're just talking, maybe the sun is just in their eyes. That's first theory. None of you are buying it. The second theory is perhaps they didn't expect Jesus to come looking different. Remember, he did resurrect after all. It's a different resurrected body. Perhaps they had a particular vision of what Jesus would look like, and Jesus came in a way that they were not anticipating. And because they, he came in a way that they were not anticipating, they couldn't see it. And often Jesus comes in ways that we're not anticipating, and we don't see it. He's coming to you. It doesn't look like Jesus, but it's him. And most of us miss him because we have no vision about how he could come differently. Or perhaps a third reason why Cleopas and his friend did not recognize Jesus was because maybe they didn't even expect to have an encounter with him. They had no expectation to have an encounter with him. And if there's no expectation for encounter, usually you're going to miss it when he walks right in front of you. It's so easy to focus on what we're disappointed about, what we're angry about, what we're sad about, that there's no room to encounter the God who's walking with us in the midst of that disappointment. Seven months ago or so, I, I started getting into this like just irritable, agitated uh, feeling with my children. 
That's my, I just, small children, especially my younger one. And I just felt this, like, disappointment. Lord, I had hoped that my time would be used in a better way. I had hoped that my money would be used in a better way. Lord, I had hoped that I could watch a game without interruption. I had hopes and dreams and visions from my life. And then two children walk in. And I was experiencing just, in, just innate, just this sense of disappointment, this sense of agitation, this sense of irritation. I started seeing a spiritual director. The spiritual director said, why don't you spend additional time in silence, just to be with God, especially in the midst of this, what you're carrying here. And I don't know how to explain it over the past month, but something's happened inside of me. I can't explain it. I, can't, I, I, I did not expect to anticipate or encounter Jesus through the whining and crying of my children. I'm not thinking of Jesus at all. I'm, I'm trying to rebuke the, the evil one in the process here. And yet, God began to meet me, encounter me, in prayer and in silence. And something, I don't know, something happened inside of me that is hard to even articulate, a greater sense of patience a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of joy. I know it's not perfect, but something happened inside of me, encountering, longing, expecting to meet with Jesus. Regardless of the reason, these men didn't see Jesus walking with them. And we miss him often. Sadly, so much of our lives is about missing when Jesus comes to us. And in our case, we miss Jesus because of our crazy pace that we live because of so much distraction, and we have no time to slow down to listen to the ways that he is coming to us. But we gather as a church on Sundays to be reminded that although we can't see him, Jesus is walking with you. He's with you. He's alongside of you. And you might not be able to recognize his presence, but he's there. He's there when you experience the disappointment of a broken heart. He's there when you experience the disappointment of a job loss. He's there when you experience the disappointment of your dreams and the vision for your life that you had not unfolding. He is there. And what I love about the story is what Jesus does next. Before they recognize Jesus, Jesus gives them this amazing, epic Bible story. Study. This is a whole Old Testament. He starts unpacking the Old Testament for them on the road. And this is what Jesus says. He said to them, he said, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus basically says to them, the central narrative, the central thread, the central uh, theme in all of the scriptures is this. Glory comes out of disappointment and suffering. That resurrection comes not in the absence of disappointment. Resurrection comes through it. And I've bargained with God and prayed, God, could it be different? Can we get resurrection without all the disappointment? Can we, can, we, can we be raised to life without dying first? And time and time again, God is saying, this is the way. And I wish it weren't so. But resurrection comes in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering. This is the mystery of faith. 
And as you hold on to God in your disappointment, somehow out of it, God surprises us with newness of life. God surprises us with joy. God surprises us with peace. It's a mystery. I don't know about you, but I want my life always up and to the right. Another promotion. Another raise. The dishes don't get dirty. It's just always, always getting better, right? You, we always want a life that just is always get a better house, a nicer car. We, always, we want up and to the right. But life doesn't always offer you up and to the right. Life offers you way, a whole bunch of other things. But how do you respond when life seems to tank? It's in those moments that resurrection comes. The point of the Emmaus story is that these two disciples misread everything. Their disappointments came as a, with the wrong expectations about the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was supposed to come in a particular way. They had no vision for a Messiah that would die and be raised from the dead. And so at the end of the story, they still don't know it's Jesus. He just had a Bible study with them. And they still don't recognize that it is Jesus. And so they invite Jesus into their home. And I love the, the switch in the story. Jesus enters as the visitor, and he leaves as the host. He comes in as a visitor. And then he sees the bread. He goes, pass me that bread for a second. And he takes the bread. And they've seen this before. And he thanks God for it, and he blesses it, and he breaks it. He goes from visitor to the host. All of a sudden, Jesus is taking control. And as he breaks the bread, the Bible says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Note what it does not say. It does not say, and then they opened their eyes. It doesn't say that. It says, then their eyes were opened. You can't open your eyes. Only God can. Our prayer is, Lord, I can't open my eyes, but you can. Open my eyes so that I may see what you are doing in the midst of my disappointment. Open my eyes, so that I may see what you're doing in the midst of suffering. Open my eyes, so I may see what you're doing, the bigger picture of what you're trying to unfold to me. Open my eyes. You can't open your eyes. Only God can do that. And says, then their eyes were open, and they recognized that it was him. And then they recognized him, and he disappeared. And what I love about it is that you can't control Jesus. And it shows me he's active, he's alive, he's risen from the dead. He's, 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 he's restoring the world, he's renewing the world. And at the, at the end of the story, what we see is a beautiful picture of repentance. They're going west, remember. They encounter Jesus, their eyes are open, and repentance is turning the other way. They turn back east with joy and celebration to announce he is risen. He is risen indeed. And this is a picture of what God wants to do with us today. So for some of you, you have been journeying west. You've been disappointed by God. You stopped praying. You've been disappointed by God. You stopped reading the Bible. You've been disappointed by God. You stopped giving. You've been disappointed by God. You stopped thinking about God. But this week, God wants to open your eyes. So that you may see him, and when you see him, that you would turn the other way towards him with joy and with celebration. They run back to Jerusalem, and that's a picture of what God wants to do with us. And so how do you summarize it? I'll summarize the story in this way. 
God, first of all, is closer than you think in times of disappointment. He's closer than you think. He's walking with you right now. You might not see him, but he's walking with you. Second, that disappointment is often the way, probably the only way to experience resurrection. And so here's the good news. If, if you're experiencing disappointment right now, you are a candidate for resurrection. You are on God's waiting list for resurrection. If you're experiencing just uh, disappointment and sorrow, why isn't life unfolding the way it is? You are a special candidate for resurrection. We learn in this story that only God can open your eyes to see the bigger picture in the midst of disappointment. You, listen, we can, most of us, we use our observation to try to make sense of what has happened. But your observation is very limited. When times of disappointment comes, we need more than our own human observation. When times of disappointment comes, what you need is God's revelation. Your observation, you know, only so far, what you need is revelation. This is why prayer is so important. Why scripture is so important. Why gathering together in worship is so important. Because what we're doing is we are positioning ourselves for revelation. Your mind can only take you so far. Your mind is limited. Your mind does not have all the answers, but God is unlimited. God has all the answers. And in a moment, God can reveal to you something that you've been, that's been bugging you for years. He can say, this is why it happened. And all of a sudden, joy and healing and restoration comes. Our observation can only take us so far, but revelation is limitless. I like how Diedrich Bonhoeffer said it. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said that life must be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. You, you, you have to live your life forward, but you, you can only understand it going backwards. And when we go backwards, it positions us for God to speak to us, to reveal to us, to open our eyes in the midst of our disappointment. Where do you need your eyes open today? That's the question I believe God will have for you today. Where do you need your eyes open? Where are you experiencing some form of disappointment in your life? Where do you need God's perspective beyond your perspective? I want to give us a moment to ask God to open our eyes. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment, paradoxically, and as we close our eyes, I'm going to ask that God would open our eyes. Where do you need God to open your eyes? Where do you need God to help you make sense of disappointments? I want to give you a couple of moments. And maybe as you have that in front of you, a failed relationship, financial challenges, job crisis, emotional trauma. Today, all of us in this room carry some degree of disappointment about something. But Jesus is here, and he can open our eyes. So our prayer is, Lord, open my eyes. Let's take a moment, and we'll close our time with, in response to, with singing. But let's begin.
Lord Jesus, we confess this day that we often miss you, that we don't recognize you. Lord, that we can so easily focus on our disappointments, that we miss you in the midst of them. And so, Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see what you see. Fill us with hope that even though life sometimes does not unfold the way we want, you are still working. You are still active. You are still moving. Help us to trust you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing together. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. We close every gathering with both prayer and the Lord's table. Remember the story. There's something that happened when the bread was broken. There was a revelation of Jesus. And when we take communion, when we take the bread and the cup, there's something mystical that happens. Something that you can't articulate with words. It's a revelation of who God is. And this is why we're invited to take bread and dip it in the cup. Jesus Christ makes himself known in very ordinary ways through simple bread and a cup. And this is why we are invited to take it. And to my left, we have a prayer team. If I sat with every one of you at the end of the service and said, tell me about your disappointments, each of you, we'd have a long conversation. Because disappointment comes. But we are reminded in the midst of our disappointments, Jesus is with us. He's walking with us. And he wants to open your eyes to see what he sees. And so this is why we close with prayer. Prayer becomes one of the ways that God reveals himself to us. When we pray for one another, there's a unique grace of the Holy Spirit that comes. That all of a sudden God gives words for people, revelation for people to see what God sees. So you can come up for prayer. You can come up to receive the bread and the cup. But our prayer this week as the people of God at New Life Fellowship should be simply, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see what you see in this time of disappointment. And so as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands to receive a blessing. If you're new to New Life, we close every gathering like this. This is a posture of receiving. And you cannot give what you have not received. And so as we close here, let's Let's walk out with me at just offering some words of blessing over all of you. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit. With Jesus opening your eyes to see what he sees. May you hold on to him this week whenever disappointments come. May you return to him. May he open your eyes. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, 
Amen. Grace and peace to everyone.